0: This is Young Lawyer Rising from the ABA Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Montana Funk. Today I'm speaking with Erin Reinhardt. Erin is a co managing partner with Faruqi PLL, with her practice focusing on class action defense, environmental law, and various other litigation matters. Additionally, Erin has been repeatedly recognized as one of America's top 100 high stake litigators. Today, Erin and I will discuss tips for young lawyers to help stand out in the workplace, achieve personal goals, and balance expectations when coming out of law school and entering the legal profession. I promise, listeners, it is not as scary as it sounds. Hello, Erin. Hey, Montana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I think today's going to be a really good conversation to kind of just, you know, go over some things that I think young lawyers don't realize will change coming out of law school. And unfortunately, I think a topic that's not talked about too often. And, you know, we talked on the phone a week ago and discussed kind of how young attorneys come out of law school and they're used to this schedule routine and things are a lot different when you come into the legal profession, and not necessarily saying that in a bad way, but, you know, things things are different, and I don't think a lot of people in law school learn how to prepare for that. So I think this is a really important topic, and I appreciate that you're here to talk with us today about that. Yeah, happy to do it. Perfect. So I'll start off something easy for you. Just tell right. the listeners a little bit about <laughs> yourself. <laughs>
1: sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm co-managing partner of Farooqui PLL. Um, we are based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton and Cincinnati. I have actually been with this firm for almost 20 years. I was a summer associate there, summer before my third year, accepted a full-time position and have spent my entire legal career there, kind of working my way through associate, senior associate, partner, and now co-managing partner for the last almost two years. So a little bit unique in that respect. I think now with a lot of folks that are kind of moving from, from role to role or firm to firm, in the fact that I've kind of been at the firm my entire career and have a a unique perspective on that. My practice focuses on commercial litigation. We are a commercial litigation boutique primarily. And as you mentioned, I focus on healthcare litigation and class action defense. I love when those two intersect. I've also got a bit of an eclectic practice where over the years I've gained experience representing various media outlets and doing some environmental work and a lot of just contract law issues I think pop up. Um, in a bunch of different industries, and so helping kind of clients navigate those and and working with them on on some of the other issues that that may arise, both before litigation in hopes that they might be able to avoid it, or when it's imminent, kind of helping them through those issues.
0: And I mean, you, you have tons of experience, and I think that that's really nice for listeners because you've kind of seen everything. I mean, you've experienced the steps of being a student, being a new associate, going from a new associate to maybe a fifth year, and then going into partner. So it's really interesting to me. And I think something that I kind of want to start off with, which kind of maybe just like the basics, and maybe not the easiest question to answer. And I'm sure everyone would have a different answer. But what are some things that you think law students wouldn't expect with transitioning out of law school that they might want to start considering? Because you know, there are such drastic changes. And what are some of those things that you think like, hey, you probably want to pay attention to this because you don't learn it in law school and you're going to kind of be, you know, taken aback or just not expected? Everything. Everything
1: yeah. is different. Um <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, so practicing for as long as I have, you just mentioned I've seen it all. I can tell you that's absolutely not true. You never learn <laughs> everything. Um, You've never seen it all. It's funny that you say that because just last week I had a client send an email that was like, urgent, call me right away. We have a problem. So I call them. They tell me what the problem is. And literally the first thing out of my mouth is I'm like, well, that's a new one for me. <laughs> Had, it just It was a completely obscure, off-the-wall kind of a thing, something you never really expect someone to say. So I think that's probably number one is expect the unexpected. You're never going to be fully prepared for everything. I think that's really scary and intimidating for a lot of new lawyers because they're they're overachievers. They're used Mm -hmm. to being the best of the best. They're used to being prepared, knowing what's coming. These are my classes, this is my schedule. I have a test coming up, I'm gonna get ready for this. Litigation especially is a complete unknown. You are always kind of moving from one thing to the next, from one fire to another. Your your brain's focused intently on one subject and all of a sudden someone's knocking at your door saying, put that down, we've gotta move on to this. And you're switching gears completely. And that's that's really hard, and it's challenging, and it takes a while to get used to. When I came out of law school, and even now, I'm a very schedule, regimented, oriented type of person. I like to plan. I like to prepare. And it took a really long time for me to get used to being agile and being able to jump from one thing to the next and not being able to plan and not having sort of consistent days where, okay, I'm going to work normal business hours. There are no normal business hours. This is a career. It's a profession. It's not a job. We're not punching a clock. When problems come in, when things happen, it might not be between eight and six, you know? And I think getting used to that is really challenging for a lot of folks that are coming out of law school. And I think conceptually they know that and understand it. And so when you talk to them, they kind of get what you're saying and you get a lot of nods and smiles. And of course, and yeah, and I would, I would never push back on that. And then all of a sudden it happens and there's just an instinctual jar. And I think they, they really struggle with that. And like anything else, it's just, it's a muscle you have to work and you become a lot better at kind of rolling with things and, and sort of figuring out what, what to prioritize and how to prioritize and, and putting things on the back burner. And that may mean you don't finish everything in one day. And, you know, that's something you have to put off for a couple of days. And, and how do you plan that? How do you communicate that? How do you adjust that? I think is, is one of the, the really big issues that I see a lot of younger attorneys come out and, and struggle with because they're just they're they're used to kind of knowing how to do the day to day. And that's not necessarily something law school teaches you.
0: No, it doesn't. And I I asked the question and was like, you know, you've seen it all and you definitely have in terms of positions. And then I was like, wait a second, probably <laughs> not because I, I know I had partners at my old firm and they were you know, well into their career. And even they were like, I still don't know everything. And I think that's kind of one of those things that's very unsettling to people. Very, very, right? Because like you said, we're used to being in law school. We want to be perfectionists. We want to make sure that we do everything super well and memorize all the rules and the laws. And then you go into the real world and it's like, wait, what? I don't know what that question is.
1: And clients want answers, right? Mm-hmm. They don't They don't want you to give some kind of wishy-washy, well, maybe if this, or maybe if that, or well, the law's not really clear on that. They don't really care. They <laughs> yeah. want to know what they can do and what they can't do. And you need to give them an answer and you need to justify it. So it's, it's building that confidence in your skills, in how you're communicating things and what your responses are. And I think that that compounds with everything else. So it's a lot of the unknown. It's it's something where you're really honing, you know, excellent legal research and writing skills, knowing the law, understanding how to research and analyze the law and apply facts and issue spots. That's table stakes. That is bare minimum what everyone needs to do if you want to be a good practicing lawyer. Going above and beyond that, you got to figure out how to have really good judgment, how to analyze things, how to be creative, how to problem solve. I mean, that's that's what we do. You know, when someone asks me what we do, I, I tell them, like, people bring me their worst things that keep them up at night and ask me to solve them. And they pay me to stay up at night and worry about it for them. Yeah. And that's really what we do. And so, a lot of times, especially at, at our firm and the type of work we do, if it was something where there was a case on point or an easy question or you could Google it, they wouldn't have called us. <laughs> so, it, it's not going to be an easy answer. So, that means you're looking at, at law, you're looking at issues, you're looking at things and trying to figure out, okay, what's analogous? What can we do? How can we kind of figure this out for them? And and here's their goal. How do we get them to that goal? Or how do we say, maybe that's not possible, but this is. And so issue spotting is great, but solution solving and solution spotting is even better.
0: Absolutely. And I I promise listeners, we're not trying to scare you with this. It sounds more intimidating than it
1: is. It is not scary. It is not scary. It's just different. It's, exactly, It's a very different situation that I think a lot if you've never been, you know, if you didn't have a job, if if you went straight and I went straight from undergrad to law school to a law firm. And so I didn't have that corporate experience. I didn't have that kind of, you know, pre-law firm, law school career. And so if you've never done that before, it's just very different, but it's not scary. And everyone understands that. And I think that's something maybe I didn't fully appreciate as a young lawyer, Partners, senior associates, even clients, I mean, 99% of the time, we understand there's a huge learning curve and our expectations are set with that. And so we don't expect you to be perfect. We don't expect you to know everything, but what we do expect is for you to try. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that that everyone needs to realize is if we see you making that effort and really kind of working on these things and communicating with us and saying, I'm really struggling. How do I manage my time? How do I manage communicating with all these people? How do I, I give an answer when I'm really not sure? You know, what, What's a great way to phrase this? That's how you figure it out as you talk about it. You don't kind of close yourself off and say, well, this isn't meant for me. I can't do this or this is too hard or their expectations are unreasonable. I think just recognizing you're not alone. We all go through this. We've all struggled through it. We've all screwed up. I mean, I've made more mistakes than I can count. But it's it's how you come back from them. It's owning them. It's not blaming someone else. It's it's asking someone and it's kind of figuring out you know how to learn from that. And those are the people that I see succeed are the ones that have kind of gotten back up and kind of gives you a tougher skin. It it makes you realize, well, look, I fell down. I I didn't die. I didn't mess up. Nobody, (laughs) you know, nothing bad happened. The client's still here. Like, you know, we didn't lose the case. And, and most of the times you're not going to be getting work where it's kind of the all or nothing make or break a case. Like you're getting experience appropriate projects. And so if you've got a really good mentor or someone you're working with, hopefully they're giving you stretch projects where they're going to see, okay, how are they handling this? And if they fall on their face, they fall on their face. But as someone who's giving out the work, I know that, all right, it's not gonna be the worst thing in the world. And we can figure out how to come back from them and I can help them make it a learning experience. And so it's it, I don't want to call it's not a test, but you look for those kind of opportunities so you can give someone that practice. So they're not going out and you know, taking the first deposition when it's kind of the make or break of the case, or the client's gonna be sitting next to them, or they're not negotiating the biggest deal ever. You know, it's it's maybe something smaller that has a lot less risk depending on what happens. And I think if you've got someone kind of looking out for you like that and giving you those options and experiences to grow and build that that muscle, so to speak, then, you know, take it for all it's worth. And and sometimes that means doing things that you're uncomfortable with and you're nervous and you're doing it with a pit in your stomach. You know, I think that's something a lot of people don't talk about is you you sort of see people that are just these rock stars and you think, well, this just must be, they're naturally good at it. They love it. They're not scared. They're not nervous. They get excited. I mean, maybe there are unicorns out there like that. I have not <laughs> met any of them. Nor have it's one I. one of those things where we all kind of do things and you just, you push through. And it doesn't feel great all the time, but afterwards you kind of feel glad that you did it and you feel proud and you're like, I can do that. And now I can do it better. And now I know how I can do it better. And it kind of motivates you to want to do it again. But I think the longer you put things off, the like anything, the the harder it gets.
0: And I think being uncomfortable means that you care, and it's not a bad thing to be uncomfortable. I, I definitely think being a lawyer is humbling for sure. But every
1: day, every <laughs> yeah. day,
0: <laughs> yeah. But it's like you said. I mean, you're that pit in your stomach. I think that shows that you're passionate about what you're doing and you care about the client, and that's not a bad thing.
1: Sure. And and I have associates that'll come in my office and say, "All right, I'm going to go have this call." I know it's going to be a difficult call. Can I just walk you through? Here's my talking points. If this happens, this, I think I'm going to do this. What do you think about that? And I am more than happy to do that with them because to me, it shows to your point, they care. They want to do a good job. They're trying to anticipate everything. And I I tell them like, you can't, you can't anticipate everything. So don't drive yourself crazy trying to just roll with it. Just listen and don't tie yourself to a script, you know, whether that's, while you're in a conversation and an argument or having a conversation, you know, with, with your partner or during your year in review, just really listen and have a conversation with someone. So you're learning as you're, you're experiencing these things.
0: No, I I think that's, that's exactly it. And I think that's good for attorneys to hear that it's going to be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means it's part of the learning
1: process and everybody goes through it. Yeah. It should not be, I mean, sometimes it's going to be scary. Sure. But scary in the sense that it's something new, um, which can also be exciting. So it's really how you frame it, but you are not the only one that's going to have anxiety or nerves around it or anticipation, anxiety, you know, all these things are completely normal. And that's, that's any career, any profession, anytime you're doing anything new. So it's not just litigation.
0: No, I, I agree. And I think I want to get back into that. and I kind of want to get into the details of, you know, talking about new associates and how for you as a partner, how you how someone stands out or what you want to see, you know, for someone to stand out. But I think for now, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and then we'll get back into that once uh, we have, we're back from our break. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. ALPS designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. ALPS is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is. And that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A L P S insurance.com. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time consuming and error prone.
1: But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and
0: information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems, like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com/simple. We are back from the break, Erin. Thank you so much for talking to us about this. And before we went off break, we were kind of discussing things that a partner would want to see from an associate in order to stand out. Because obviously you have a lot of people that you're with, not competing with necessarily, but a lot of people on a team. So what is something you think makes an individual stand out amongst others?
1: Sure. So it's funny because we're in the middle of doing interviews right now. And I, I actually had a couple of folks ask me that and said, you know, at your firm, what is what does it mean to be a superstar? How do you figure out if someone's succeeding? And I think there's a few things. And like I said before, you know, the fundamental skills are bare minimum when you come in, just, you know, knowing how to research, how to write, understanding how to issue spot, those things are, are bare minimum. I think the folks that really stand out, that really do well, the ones I like working with, that I really have fun with, are the ones that that ask and get into what the big picture is. What's the client's goal? What's the goal of this project? What are we trying to do? What's the end game here? And whatever that might be, whether it's writing a motion or answering a client's question, when they understand that, then they can also adapt whatever that final work product is into something that makes my life easier and then the client's life easier. So when you're a young associate, you should be thinking about anyone that's giving you work, senior associates, partners, as your client. And so obviously clients are all firm clients. So while I may be answering to someone you know, at a company or someone external to the firm, you're answering to me. And it's all the same. We're all driving toward the same goal of, of helping the client solve their problems. So someone who's not just giving me an answer that's a treatise on some issue. you know. If the client's like, can I do X under the law? And they give me an entire you know, 40 page memo on that, but yet I still can't figure out what the answer is, that's not super helpful. But if they shoot me an email and they're like, yes, the client can do that, here's why. And then they give me sort of their analysis and then they're like, oh, by the way, I assumed you're gonna send an email to the client and talk to them about this, so here's a draft email below. And so it's something where you're like, great. I can cut and paste this. I can modify it. I've got some talking points here. You know, they're thinking about how best to do next steps. It's not just, this is my project. This is my assignment. I'm going to focus with blinders on and do this one thing. They're thinking bigger picture. And the more I see people do that and think like that, the more I find trust in them. And I'm like, Hey, why don't you call the client? You seem to know what you're talking about. I agree with your analysis. You did all the work. I don't need to take the credit for that call them up, tell them, have that experience, have that, you know, start building those kind of skills because those are, those are the other skills, right? You know, it's, it's being able to communicate those answers. It's being able to talk to a client. It's being able to have confidence that you found the right answer and confidence in what your analysis is. So folks that are are thinking globally, that are thinking about how to make the client's life better, folks that are taking ownership of, of what the cases are, of what their project is, that doesn't look at it as a job, as something where like, I'm just coming here, I'm gonna do what I'm told, I'm gonna shut my door, I'm not really gonna get involved in anything, and I'm gonna go home and do what I wanna do. And and kind of treat it as as one of those sort of punch the clock, take the things. So if you wanna make partner being partner means you're, you're an owner of the firm. And so you are then not just responsible for your own career, but you're responsible for everybody's. You have employees. You have associates. You're trying to help other people develop their skills. You're trying to grow not just your brand, but the firm's brand. And so I think people that tend to show that kind of thinking and that investment. So that could be anything from, you know, you send out an email and say, hey, the firm has a table at this bar association dinner. Who wants to come? And you're, you volunteer to go. You're there. You're there and you're, you're interacting with people. You're meeting judges. You're growing your network. You're, you know, personable. We're getting to know you on a social level. People work with people they like to work with. And so, you know, we, we work hard. We work long hours. There's travel involved sometimes. You want to work. You don't have to be friends with these people. You don't have to, you know, love everything about them, but you want to work with someone you get along with. And so seeing that you can have a conversation with someone, seeing that they have, experiences and, and other sort of life, you know, kind of interests to bring to the table, just makes a more well-rounded attorney, someone who's going to have ideas, creative solutions, be able to interact with clients, be able to grow their own book of business. Those are all really important things to see. Does that mean I expect someone who's a brand new lawyer or someone who's in their first few years of practice to be, start bringing in their own cases? No, but you want to see if that potential is there. You want to see if if they're looking beyond just what that project is in front of them? And are they someone that is, is willing to take constructive criticism? You know, we all have things to learn. I tell everyone, I co-counsel a lot with, with folks. And so, or you're involved in a bigger case and there's a joint defense group. And so you're all working on a project and it gets redlined and rewritten and moved around. I have zero pride in authorship. If I get something ripped up and moved around, I do not take it personally. If it's better, great. If someone has a style issue, whatever they want to do, you know, it depends who's got priority here, who's doing that. And I think you can always learn from someone else. And especially when you're new, you do not know everything and, oh, and you, gosh, no. you, you hardly know anything. And I was there and I got the stuff marked up and I had people write back and, and say, what does this even mean? Did you even answer the question? Like we have all been there. But the reason I've gotten to where I am is because while sometimes it stings, I'm not going to lie, you take it and you sort of like, okay, but their changes are actually really good and they improve it. And that's a pretty good question. And now I feel ridiculous for not thinking of that myself. And I'm going to go back and look at it as opposed to some people that are coming to you and saying, well, I don't really understand why you did this. I think it's fine as it is, or we don't need to do that, or, or there's excuses or whatever it might be. I think, you know, being coachable, being teachable, taking that feedback is really important. And it also shows you just want to grow and learn. That's super important because this is a practice for all of us. And it's a constant practice. And it's funny
0: you mentioned the red line because that's whenever I think to someone, and I mean, I'm not acting like I've practiced forever. I've been here for only like three years. So I know I'm new to this too. But even in my first, like, I think it was my first couple of months, I wrote a brief and one of the partners who I'm, I'm pretty close with, redlined it did a lot. And I remember in that moment being like, oh man, like I suck Like this. I, I'm not cut out for this, you know? And then it's like, no, wait, let's go through it. They're an amazing writer. They have so much to teach you. You learn a lot from it, and then it's turning it into being like, well, no, now I want to just learn from them, right? And absolutely taking, like you said, constructive criticism because we are going to get it, whether it's from other colleagues or our clients. <laughs> sometimes, like, right, right. right. Like,
1: <laughs> and wouldn't you rather get it from me than the clients? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So no, that's a really, a really good point. That it's not, at least in my perspective, a profession that you can be too harsh on yourself
1: in. Because you have got to be able to have a sense of humor about yourself, about the profession, about all of it. Because if you can't laugh at some of the stuff we have to do, some of the contentious fights that we we have to battle, you're going to lose your mind. And so you got to have a sense of humor. Self-deprecation will get you very <laughs> yeah. far. Um, I can tell you that. You know, it's, it's funny because if, if you're getting red lines back with comments and feedback – you should be appreciative because that takes time. And that mm-hmm. means someone's invested in wanting to make you better. If someone just takes your work and then changes it and never talks to you about why they did that, you should be going to them and asking them about it because there's a reason and it can help you improve. But if they're not taking the time to do that, then you're missing out. And as someone at my level at my firm, I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to build the attorneys that, that we've hired and grow them and promote them, I wanna see them all succeed. You know, it's something where if they end up leaving or not making partner or changing their mind as to what they want to do, I wanna at least know I did everything I could to help them. And so I get it. This is not the job for everyone. And that's fine. But I don't ever want to look back and be like, maybe if I would have spent a little more time or maybe if I would have you know, pushed them a little harder, or looked for some other opportunities, maybe it would have been different. I don't wanna to have to do that. And I think part of that comes from the fact that I was really fortunate to have strong mentors and to have people that did that for me. And I realized that it was all of those things that got me to where I am now. And and still, because I'm still developing new skills and, and learning new things, whether that's in the practice or in the management it's important to have people like that and to have that kind of support network and i think that support network and that collegiality and that type of collaboration will help you survive the tougher times because there there's going to be stressful times there always is it's it's a profession built on on adversarial situations and contention and there's a lot of big egos <laughs> there's a lot of jerks um i think Figuring out how to navigate through that and not let it just completely wear you down all the time is is important. And the network, the sense of humor, all that stuff is is really helpful.
0: Dark humor really goes a long way, which is like sad to say for people who don't understand dark humor. Right, right. But I mean – yeah, we, I'm with so, you. Right, like yes, you make like a self. I am with you. Yeah, <laughs> you like at Christmas dinner and you make a self-deprecating joke and everyone's like, "Ooh," and you're like, "No, no, I promise." Like, co- <laughs> coworkers would find this funny. I promise, it's an,
1: right. You know, right. so
0: no, I, I, yeah, I think that that's one of the things too. I wish I would have learned earlier on, and like you said you want those mentors who take the time because they care about you and they care about you doing well and it's not because you're not a good lawyer or because you don't know what you're doing it's because they see potential in you and i think that's really important for new attorneys you know to just keep that in mind but i only have a couple more questions for you we're gonna take one more quick break we'll come back and then i promise i'll let you go soon This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just $75 at ambar.org join.
2: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time.
0: All right, we're back kind of segueing from talking about what makes an individual stand out amongst others. What are some steps you think an associate or even a partner can take in terms of, you know, doing extracurriculars or like you had said earlier, um, social networking? What things do you think an associate should be looking for in terms of wanting to grow their practice and just in general grow as a lawyer when they're first starting out within those first, you know, couple of years?
1: Sure. So, getting involved is something I I really believe in. I think it's so important for a million different reasons. And I will say, you know, early on in your career, there's going to be a lot of have-tos. There's going to be things that I think your employer, your firm, your company, wherever you're at, they're going to, you know, volunteer you to do. And and you got to do those. And you may not love all of them, but know that it's not forever and make the best of them. And Things like, you know, getting local bar associations are a great way to meet judges, to meet other practitioners. It's a referral base. It's people you're going to be litigating against. So it's opposing counsel, being able to pick up the phone and call someone and have a productive conversation can go a really long way. When a client calls you and says, hey, do you know, judge so-and-so, we just got sued and they're assigned. And you're like, I do. I just sat with dinner with them last night at the bar association, dinner." you know, and and doing that. And. And it's really, really important. And those are easy. Those are easy things to get involved with right away. So when you're just starting out, kind of figure out what those must-haves are or what the the firm or the company really wants you to do and do those and, and make the best of them and, and do what you need to do and, and build some relationships. Once you get a couple years under your belt, then you can kind of grow and figure out, okay, what kind of practice do I want to have? What do I need to do to grow that? What kind of experiences do I need to have? Who do I need to meet in order to do that? Maybe that's State Bar associate. She's National Bar Associates. ABA is a fabulous one. I was involved in the Young Lawyers Division for the first 10 years of my career. It was really, really instrumental in getting to know people. We practice across the country. Have, I just actually, it's funny, I reached out to someone. I needed local counsel in Oregon. I knew someone from YLD, and so, you know, Fifteen years later, I'm reaching out to them, even though I I maintain contact with them throughout. Right, so just because I may not be working with them at the YLD anymore, we still touch base, be it LinkedIn or on Facebook or social media platforms or email, Christmas cards, whatever it might be. But you still have these networks of people, and then it's it's figuring out what you like. If you like to write, then maybe you know getting on an editorial board is the way to go. If you like to have you know, experience in a certain practice area, maybe child advocacy or, or criminal justice or things, there's, there's committees and things you can get involved in. There's nonprofit boards. But once you get some flexibility, figure out what you like to do and then commit your time to doing that. And don't just be a member of everything. When I see resumes come in and they're like, I'm a member of 50 different organizations. What that tells me is you have zero time to actually do anything for any of these or you're doing nothing for any of them. So if you have one and you took a leadership position, if you were a chair of an event, if you chaired a, a social event, that tells me you've got leadership skills, you know how to communicate with a whole bunch of different people, you can organize the heck out of logistical issues, you can do a whole bunch of things that are going to translate into practice and do well. And it shows that you're willing to step up and you're, you're not afraid to kind of be the one making the decisions, making the call and making sure everything's moving forward and everything's kind of getting done. And that's important. So I, I think that's, that's a great way to do it. What I did was, you know, it's interesting. I was on the TYL board for uh, the ABAYLD. The first time I applied, I was not accepted. So I realized I was like, all right, I need to build my resume. So I am here in Southwest Ohio. The Dayton Bar Association has its own publication. I volunteered to be on the editorial board for that. I did that for a year. I built up some publications. I reapplied the following year. I got accepted. So I didn't take that no as like, well, I guess I suck. I I can't do this. I'm not going to do anything now. It's like, all right, well, what can I do to kind of get them to say yes? And so then I was on that. And so that introduced me to other people. That opened the door to other things women's issues, women in the law is a huge, huge passion project for me. I have done a ton of different things on that. The Ohio Women's Bar Association is near and dear to my heart. I am just coming off of my term as president of that bar association. So it's something that never felt like work. I made friends. I had fun. It was interesting. Uh, I felt like I was actually doing something productive and making a change. Um, you meet different law students and younger lawyers and there's mentoring circles and you find people and you just put yourself out there to say, Hey, if, if you have questions, if you want to reach out, please feel free to call or email. I'm more than happy to talk to you. If I don't know the answer, I probably know somebody who does. So it's, it's really important to, to have those kinds of networks to build that up. And I think especially for, for female lawyers to, to really support each other and, and to have those kinds of opportunities for one another. Mm-hmm. So, we're, we're doing things that we like to do that help our career, that help the firm, but also don't necessarily feel like work. And so I think as you grow in your career, you're going to figure that out. You are, you're not going to know, and you're going to do a lot of things where you're like, that was awful. And I never want to do that again, <laughs> Yeah. but you know what now, you know, and as you kind of get a little bit more seniority, it, you have a little bit more ability to say no. Right. I don't think now it's easier to say no, but I think it's a little bit more justifiable. I feel a little better about saying no and I've realized looking back there's kind of seasons of your career in your life where it's easier to take on a lot and then sometimes you you need to sort of shed some of those I have I'm married I have two children um, right now they're 14 and 12. when they were really little and they were in daycare all day I I had time to do some things. Mm-hmm. And then they get to a point where they get more active and they're involved in things. And then I had to pull back. And then you can kind of, you know, it, you roll with that and you realize it doesn't have to be everything all the time. And you can kind of take this profession as a marathon, not a sprint. Even though sometimes it feels like it's a
0: 60-meter sprint, track and field. All day, every day. <laughs> Fifth grade, yes. you're going, you're beating people. No, I get that. I do have to ask you um, just, you know, selfish reasons. What do you think a podcast hosts?
1: I love this. So I think this is a fa- So you are in such a unique position because let me tell you this. You don't have to ask anyone to write anything. If you think someone's cool or interesting or you just want to talk to them, you can shoot them an email and say, hey, would you like to be on a podcast? I would love to chat with you about this because I think you're awesome. Lawyers have egos. <laughs> lawyers are always wanting to be told they're awesome. So let me tell you, they will be more than happy to come on and talk to you about themselves for 30 minutes and then you've just built a network. And you are getting to know a whole bunch of people. You have an in to talk to people 99% of lawyers can't talk to or have no reason to or are going to send some lame LinkedIn request that never gets answered. <laughs> So well, thanks I for entertaining. Think, I think it's a gr- it's a great investment in your time.
0: I promise that was a joke, but I appreciate that you entertained that. So thank you. No,
1: it, I don't I honestly don't think it is. I think it's such a great opportunity to be able to meet different people and and have a conversation with them and, and get to know them on a level that not necessarily other people would be able to do. It's fun and this whole this this profession, I don't think it's unique to litigation or law, but but it really is important to it is it's relationships it's, we are, it's relationships with opposing counsel. It's relationships with people at your firm. It's relationships with the court staff, with the judges, with all, with your clients. I mean, if that's all you have is your reputation and your relationships. And so however you can authentically build that and everybody's different, right? Like I loved writing and I love social media because for some reason, social media to me was really easy to sort of self-promote without it feeling icky. Yeah. And I, I couldn't ever figure out how to tell people like, oh yeah, I did this or I did that yeah. without it seeming just weird and braggy. <laughs> but on social media, for some reason, I could put it out there and it just, it felt okay. And, and I liked doing it. And it was fun. And I connected with people and I could make it creative and I could do it lying in bed in my pajamas and it wasn't a big deal. Um, but not everybody likes that. And so I think there's a a whole bunch of different ways you can build relationships and you don't have to be an extrovert. I think it surprises people sometimes when I tell them, I'm like, I am not naturally an extrovert. Um, I think I'm an extroverted introvert (laughs) or I just know how to force myself to kind of do that. But I don't get energized by, you know, going out in big rooms and talking and networking to people. I can enjoy that, but it's draining. Um, I love my alone time. I think, you know, my 12 year old daughter thinks I'm crazy when I tell her, I'm like, I love it when I have the house to myself and I'm all alone and nobody wants to talk to me. (laughs) But you just, you, you do not have to be a certain type of person, a certain personality in order to do well. Everyone can succeed. You just need to figure out what works for you.
0: No, exactly. I'm definitely the extroverted extrovert, but I also like very recently have started enjoying my alone time. I got a dog and now I swear it's like he's made me more introverted. All I ever want to do is sit on my couch with him. So I'm working on it, but I appreciate you talking today. Just one last question for you. Sure. Just tell our listeners where else they can find you.
1: Absolutely. So FIClaw.com is our firm's website. My bio is there. You can email me, call me. I am also on LinkedIn, it's Aaron Reinhardt and Instagram. EE Reinhardt is my handle on Twitter, and I post everything from updating on hot legal topics, things for women in the law, things I'm involved in to pictures of my dog. So, you know, you get the whole gamut. It's (laughs) love the pictures, love the dog. It's super exciting. You know, (laughs) Okay, dog pictures are always exciting. I don't care what anyone says. No, they're always. sometimes you're just having a bad day and you just need a good, a good dog pick. Right. (laughs) I agree.
0: No, I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. And that was, that was awesome. You know, awesome conversation, really important topics and just good to hear from someone who, like I said, it's not necessarily seen it all, but who's <laughs> been there through a lot of it. So thank you so much for joining us. No,
1: you're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Now we're going to head over to Julie Marrow, and she's going to be telling us about when pop culture meets the law.
2: Hey, Julie. Hi, Montana. How are you? Oh, I'm great. What do you got for me today? Today, we are talking about how the U.S. women's soccer team is going to be paid the same as the men's soccer team starting in 2023. That is so exciting. It is exciting. So I think I read something about this in the spring. I don't know if it had been finalized yet, but this past May was when the agreement was reached and it started with an equal pay lawsuit filed by the women's team that reached a 24 million dollar settlement and so that sort of propelled this all getting sorted out but they had some labor contracts and other things they had to deal with before um, the agreement could be finalized but yeah starting the contracts right now I think are through 23 through 28 so you don't see that in sports it's exciting. That's awesome I'm excited to see you know what that does
0: for setting precedent for other sports and it's just good for them that's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like it could kind of create a framework for other women's teams to use. And that I think is the downfall. When I was reading, it just said how the argument that the women's team could use is we're more successful, we have a better record. And in a way, I think they have more caliber than the men do. And it's like, unfortunately, that's not the case in a lot of organizations or for a lot of women's teams, but they were able to negotiate and get what they deserved. So I think... I think it's a step in the right direction. I think you'll you're starting to see more of this on college campuses to the female athletes saying, you know, the men have these facilities, these perks, and just kind of looking for more of that equal experience. No, that's awesome. That is very exciting news. So I guess we'll we'll stay tuned. But maybe this is the uh, start of a new era. That's awesome. Let's hope so. Well, I think that's about it for today. Thank you for listening to Pop Law, where pop culture meets the law. We'll talk to you next time. I'm your host, Julie Merrow.
0: Well, listeners, you know the drill. That's our show. And I want to thank Aaron for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, as always, please recommend us to a friend. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Until next time, I'm Montana Funk. And you've been listening to Young Lawyer Rising, brought to you by the ABA Young Lawyers Division and the audio professionals at Legal Talk Network.